not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Welcome back to another episode of Leaning Middle. My name is Eric. And I'm Brian. And today we're going to be taking a look at what America might look like depending upon if either candidate actually wins the election. There's a lot of people talking about what the first 100 days might look like in a new Biden administration as well as a second Trump term. So we thought we'd break down the specifics of what those first 100 days might actually look like. Yeah, I I think that's an interesting topic to to discuss because right now it's you know kind of we're getting ready to to wrap up. I mean, we're what less than two weeks out now, uh, right exactly. at maybe thirteen days, and uh, you know now you're going to really be able to see what your vote counts for. And one of the things that that I'm interested in is what does that look like right after the the election? Because I think it's going to be a long, brutal process moving forward. And a lot of people are already tired of politics, and, and we use the word exhausted quite often. But yeah. I think people aren't quite geared up for what the fallout is going to be, depending on either one of them. I mean, both of them have grounds to contest the election. Absolutely. And then I think that's the that's the first topic that's worth discussing is what you know, what it does actually look like in terms of when the electorate, you know, does come in. Are we going to see a contested election? How or how are the cases um, where we wouldn't see a contested election? Like what needs to happen in order for, you know, the opponent not to be not be able to challenge um, the results? And that's kind of the first, you know say from november to january it's going to be very very chaotic um you know if biden is able to get high enough numbers and win some unsuspecting battleground states like that have been kind of activated in the last month here like texas and north carolina then it's going to be really difficult for trump to try to contest the results of the election of course if trump ends up does winning on election night and then the ballots would then be what joe biden is relying on the mail-in ballots would be what joe biden's relying on then that's when we could see this actually being decided by the courts well and you know you say if we flip a couple states that that we didn't think were in play but turn out to be in play i still think you you have a contested election because if you look at his behavior trump's behavior right now the one thing you can count on is he's going to be unpredictable and he's not going to concede. I mean, yeah, you, you grow up aspiring to be the president of the United States and you think what it's going to be like to, you know, transition into that power and become president. And it's this grand um, you walk down the street, you do your inauguration, you meet with the president, they take you into the White House, you know, kind of like Obama did with Trump and everything else. That's going to be ugly. Like, I feel bad for Joe if I he know. wins and has to go through that with with Trump. I'd be surprised if he actually does it. Um, but 
I, I think the one thing that, that Trump is showing you right now is he's not going to go without a fight. And, and yeah. here's, here's the other thing is even if he transitions out, he has enough following with him and he's just ballsy enough to just keep trashing everything that the president is doing and, and keep turning people or keep trying to turn people against him. Yeah, I agree fully. I think it's gotten to a point where we, you know, they talk about the peaceful transition of power. And even if it is technically peaceful, you know, like Trump does not dispute the results. He goes what that transition of power, it would be surprising if he, you know, plays by the rules and actually works as a transition team to help, you know, the incoming president if he does lose. So I I agree. I think it'll be very tricky for Joe to... um, jump in and kind of, ha- you know, be able to get to work right away because there will be some issues. Well, and a lot of people talk about how long this could be drawn out. Well, keep in mind when Gore and Bush um, went after each other, it was 36 days after the election. That to me seems like a very short period con- considering what we're about to go into. Yeah, Absolutely. So, okay, let's start with um, Biden. Yeah. What, what does this look like if Biden wins? So I think there's, that's the, it's interesting to consider Biden because a lot of people are worried that things are going to drastically change very, very aggressively, very quickly. And I think Biden's main focus in the first 100 days of office would be starting to repeal um the majority of trump executive orders now a lot of people are worried that involves the tax breaks and you know that taxes are going to be changed immediately when in reality what i think biden's going to focus on is reversing as much as he can that the trump administration has kind of written off especially in the fields of um, equality and social justice so we're probably going to see a lot of things like how currently um companies that take contracts from the government are now not actually allowed to do race or bias training or um, LGBTQIA ally training. So just kind of unrolling a few things like that to kind of put more civil protections in for minority groups um, will probably be an immediate action. And then I think, um, you know, and most people, some people might be terrified to hear this, but then the other big one would be a national mask mandate. I think we would start to see a lot more of a national government presence in the coronavirus response, whereas Trump's decided to kind of make that more of a state level agenda. Now that we are, you know, only two weeks before the election and there isn't a single state that is steady or uh, dropping in covid infection rate, every single one of the 50 states, including D.C. and Puerto Rico, are now rising. So it's clear that that state strategy didn't work. You know, regardless of if you agreed with it or not, the evidence is back and we are, you know, entering now what some are calling our third, what some are calling our second wave. So I think that would be the main thing that would happen for Biden is before he can really get to work on any of these other major issues, we need to get the country healthy and working together to kind of combat what's taking place right now. Like you got to stop the bleeding, right? Exactly. Before you can exactly before you can close up the wound, you got to stop the bleeding. So I I agree with you on on that aspect of it. I think the very first thing that Biden is going to do is is implement that mask mandate. Yeah. 
And, no, 100%. and I think that one of the first moves. And then I think he's going to bring Fauci and everybody in. And, and I think his focus in the first hundred days is going to be get the coronavirus under control. And then he'll start uh, start with the taxes as as well. I, I believe that that's where he'll he'll start moving in. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are really concerned that um, how far left this country is going to go if Joe gets elected. And, and I think it's you and I talked about it in this podcast quite a bit about the perception is that it's going to go really far. But if you really look at, at Joe and, and who he's working with and, and everything else, that it's really not as far as everybody thinks. But Joe had to do something with Bernie when, yeah. you know, he had to get Bernie's voters on, on in line with him. And he had to uh-huh. concede some type of element to Bernie in order to get Bernie to really kind of jump in and say, yeah, we need to be endorsing Joe and this is for the better of the country and everything else. That's what a politician does. A politician goes in and says, okay, here's what our goal is. Here's what we need. How are we going to get there? That's being in the middle. And exactly, exactly. It's attracting both sides of the spectrum, which, you know, for me was a big reason why I um, decided to vote for Joe this year was his work to not only incorporate, you know, the progressive branch of the Democratic Party, but then also, you know, talk about even having a cabinet that is bipartisan, you know, bringing in people from the Republican Party. And that's that's where I agree, you know, fully with you is seeing that coalition approach again in government is really reassuring so let's just take a second because this is one subject we can't talk with on biden that we won't really be able to dive into with trump because he's already a sitting president well Uh what do you think that cabinet would look like i think when it comes down to biden he has you know everybody says oh he's a career politician he's a career politician xyz he's been in government for 47 years And I think that's where the cabinet is actually going to benefit from, because Biden doesn't he's not worried about filling his cabinet with kind of your political celebrities. You know, a lot of people on the right are scared that he's going to fill it with progressives like AOC or even put Elizabeth Warren as the head of the Treasury Department and just things like that, where more more progressive individuals would have more expanded roles in government, when really I think the opposite would be true. I think across the board, Biden's main concern in his cabinet is experience level and then diversity and making sure that the cabinet actually does represent what America looks like. And, you know, he's obviously had a lot of push to make a woman of color his vice president choice, which he did decide to do. And he's been talking about making sure that, you know, Latinx, black individuals, as well as Asian and Pacific Islanders and LGBTQIA people are working within his cabinet. And there's obviously been a call for some of the more minority um, individuals that people want to see put into cabinets have more prominent positions. You know, there's always been cabinet roles that have been reserved for, I don't want to say token, but you know, for lack of a better word, it's, it's their cabinet positions that are more traditionally filled by people of color, like the, uh, housing and urban development and how Ben Carson's handling that currently. So they are pushing for people of color to have better representation in the higher cabinet. So, 
I think across the board, what we'll see is good representation, but then probably a decent amount of names we're not familiar with, which might set some alarm bells off for other people and might reassure, um, you know, some of the more independent leaning individuals as well. So I'd be surprised if we see Bernie, Warren, um, Bloomberg, any of those people actually ending up having high cabinet positions. Yeah. So let me ask you this question, stepping back just just one step. When an incoming president comes in, do they do they typically pick their uh, their cabinet with reelection in mind? Like, do you think the cabinet has that type of influence on reelections? No, I don't. And I think we've kind of seen that time and time again where I could ask somebody like, oh, who was Barack Obama's secretary of state? Hillary Clinton. Yes, for one term. Okay. And then, but it's like that, that goes back. So it's like the, the only other like, Secretary of State that I even remember is Condoleezza Rice. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was obviously John Kerry. And um, oh, yes, John Kerry. Sorry. So it, but that, that kind of proves the point where it's like we're pretty politically involved and we don't even, you know, it, it is, it's difficult to even remember who the third in command was, you know, just four years ago. So, yeah. And then when you look at the Trump administration, and it might be interesting to dive into and in kind of a supplementary episode, which is, you know, is his, um, is his cabinet perceived as weaker kind of not having a role in re-election choices because it's been so chaotic because so many people have been fired and reappointed and stepped down or stepped out it, it seems like it's really hard to keep track of who's doing what in that administration at any given month um let alone week. Right. so it is interesting you know in my mind my knee-jerk reaction would be no but you know maybe maybe there is something there considering you know trump is struggling now and it might just be from the general chaos that people are noting from within the administration so maybe it's the the, oh go ahead i was gonna say it might just be kind of the ability to keep things consistent that would be uh, beneficial for re-election concerns yeah now you said kind of with biden not really going the popular route with with uh um the cabinet positions and everything else one person that I think is very popular right now and is really their star is rising rapidly is um, the campaign that you worked on. Yes. With Pete Mayor, Buttigieg. Mayor Pete. Yes. And one of the things that I think is, I think he's definitely going to be involved. Where do you think his best fit would be? I've, I've heard ambassador to the UN. I've heard secretary of state. I've heard a couple other ones, but I, where do you feel, having worked inside his campaign as a volunteer and everything else, and having a little bit more intricate knowledge of, of some of his views, where do you think he'd be the best fit? I've heard so many things, too, which cracks me up, because I think a lot of people, the most recent one I've heard is people pushing for him to be um, press secretary, just because yeah. he's, gotten, he's gotten so good at going on the Fox News and taking these gotcha questions and turning it around and making the host just jaw drop, you know, I don't, I don't know how he keeps getting invited on because, um, you know, like it's good TV, it's ratings. You're right. It is good TV, but it cracks me up because Pete, um, if Pete lacks something, it's charisma. You know, he, he has this, there's, there's an inability for him to connect with people across all demographics. And that's kind of his major issue. But, 
um, to say, you know, well, that, he was probably that, that is exactly the, what connects him with everybody across all these issues. Yeah, no, it's a very valid point. And the other side of the coin is that doesn't make him not incredibly brutally intelligent of an individual, you know, to be a Rhodes Scholar and go to Oxford and then come back and work in one of the nation's highest rated think tanks and then have a prominent role in the Navy and be deployed in Afghanistan. It's just like it's the kind of resume that politicians dream over. Because he has everything across the board. So it kind of cracks me up when people do try to challenge him to a debate. And it's like, oof, you know, if there's one person in politics I wouldn't want to go head to head with on knowledge base alone, it would probably be Mr. Buttigieg. But from working on his campaign myself and, you know, my biggest thing and my biggest uh, if I had to pick my single voting issue, it is 100 percent foreign policy. And kind of how, because I am, you know, for lack of a better word, very globalistly minded, I feel that it is difficult to try to stop the trend that the economy is becoming intertwined at a global level. You know, we won't be able to return to isolationism as the Trump administration has been working to do so by pulling out of different treaties and international agreements and stuff. So I think where Pete would be best is somewhere in the State Department or like you said, working as the ambassador to the United Nations. Yeah, I, I think one of the things I like about Pete is he doesn't get as emotionally charged as everybody else. Does. That's true. And I think I think that's what's so funny about his delivery is it's just so matter of a fact. And it really makes you kind of go, well, I mean, yeah, why, why didn't you? Why didn't you just say it like that in the first place? Um, but some of the th- these people get everybody gets so fired up about these issues and everything. And he just, well, yeah, I mean, if that's the way you want to look at it, then great. And, you know, kind of matter of factly puts these people in their place. Like those, those Fox news uh, anchors that just kind of looked at each other afterwards, like, okay, where do we go from here? Because we can't really get him fired up or, you know, it just didn't work. Yeah, exactly. um, So if Biden wins, we've kind of talked about his cabinet. We've kind of discussed briefly, touched briefly on, what that looks like from the first hundred days and and he might not be as socialist as everybody on the Republican side is, is saying, what does it look like from a social standpoint if Biden wins? Because one of the big fears right now is, are we going to go into a civil war? What is the uprising going to be? Are, is, are the protests going to, um, you know, come in or is the, the left or the right going to clash? Uh, you know, what is if Trump gets the, the far right riled up, what are they going to do? Um, you know, are they going to try to kidnap any more governors or, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen? So if Biden wins, what does it look like for a social movement? It's interesting. And I've considered that, too, because there is, I've heard time and time again that there is this fear that we're about to enter a period of civil war in the country. And honestly, I think what it comes down to is there's this idea on both sides, you know, whether you're talking about the Proud Boys or QAnon or if you're talking about Antifa, um, it there seems to be a perception that there's a lot more extremism than actually exists in the nation. You know, it's like, we've always dealt with domestic terror incidents, you know, all the way back to, um, 
you know, kind of Waco was the trigger of that and the ATF's mishandling of that and then Ruby Ridge and then that turned into Oklahoma City. And then obviously we've been seeing more homegrown, radicalized um, Islamic threats as well as just white supremacy. So it seems like the news cycle focuses on these things. But in reality, I'd be hard pressed to see if there was much uprising in the streets if there was a biden win you know i think there's going to be a lot of really harsh and um combative rhetoric from you know election day until inauguration day but at the same time i think um you know we we've talked to a handful of people who are um trump voters or at least likely trump voters and they've all kind of said the same thing recently which is they they're a little dejected you know they kind of just they've already given up and uh it just from the Republicans that I know, even the ardent Trump supporters, they wouldn't want to take to the streets with weapons, you know, just in the same way. Yeah. If Trump were to win, I'd be pretty dejected and upset, but I'm not going to buy guns to start to try to overthrow the government. So I think more yeah. than anything, civility will win out. And maybe that's naive. Maybe that's naively optimistic. But at the same time, I think a lot of people forget that. Across the board, America is ready to hear less about politics. You know, they're, they're kind of ready for politics to be boring again. I, I am. Mm-hmm. And this whole podcast is about politics. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm in line with you. I don't think the next civil war is going to be drawing the line and it'll be the red versus the blue instead of the gray versus the blue. Yeah. I, I think... The, a, a civil war would take place in a, and I don't even think you can really call it a civil war as much as you could call it a fracturing of a country, uh-huh. but, but it's not going to be clear cut drawn lines. It's going to be um, you walking into a store and a guy wearing a Trump t-shirt, you know, attacks you or, or vice versa. You attack a Trump person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, I think that's what it's going to be. Here's what I think, though, is I think people are just so exhausted. Like, there's just not enough momentum left to really drive it in that direction. Does that mean, am I wrong? Maybe it'll get fired up if if, uh, one wins over the other. I mean, one will win over Mm -hmm. the other. But I I guess my my point is, I think on the, the Democrat side, if Biden wins... I think that they're really going to back off on a lot of these these protests and, and everything else because of exactly what Biden has been saying. Now, I, I, we're, we're going to get to Trump here in just one second, but that's what I think. I think I think it's going to back off. If, if there is a push, it's going to come from the right, in my opinion, uh, if Biden wins. I agree, and I think there is some level of, you know, we're seeing – Especially in Texas and, you know, in West Texas, we're seeing now they're holding Trump rallies and Trump parades basically on a weekly basis now. So there is obviously an enormous amount of energy for this guy, you know, in in a lot of different parts of the country. And it'll be interesting to see how that energy translates to him potentially losing the election. You know, will these people pivot to a rally to thank Trump, you know, for the time he was in office or will they pivot to a rally to support the uprising you know it's like you really don't know but i think at the end of the day um a lot of the extremist rhetoric is not going to be backed up by action just as we've seen you know it's like yes there have been violent protests and kind of 
some more different breakouts of fractional violence, but they've really been isolated. You know, if you really think about how many protests have been carried out this year and then the actual violent incidences, it it is relatively rare. I think it's seven seven percent of protests involved any sort of violence. So I think it would be pretty hard pressed to believe that anybody would be ready to, you know, start the civil war, let alone without any firm leadership behind either side. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to I'm going to take one second break here uh, and ask you, we we just hit the 24 minute mark. We try to keep these things between 30, 35. I don't want to rush through the Republican side of it just to try and get them both into one episode. Are you good with moving moving Republican if Donald Trump wins to another Yeah, episode? I think that's the best bet. Okay, because there's a couple other things I want to hit if Biden wins. Um, so uh, kind of going back to the the social or the, uh, the Civil War aspect of it, I believe that it's, it, regardless, it's happening right yeah. now in social media. Yeah, it's a very good point. It is, we are... And social media, you know, you have that keyboard courage where all of a sudden it's like you don't have to respect somebody else's belief. You can just be like, ha, 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 cry, laugh, emoji, cry, laugh, emoji. You're an idiot. Uh-huh. And that's the kind of rhetoric well, that is, you know, it, it, it's ripping. It's ripping the country apart. But how many of those people can, you know, find that same courage that they have behind a keyboard and say it in the streets is kind of. The other question, then, you know, the flip side of the coin is at the end of the day, I mean, if Biden were to win the election, then he has the ability to use the military as he sees fit. And then if you just look at it, you know, on a surface level, most major cities are obviously very, I think all major cities are very Democratic leaning. So it wouldn't really be. Mm possible for an actual conservative uprising to take place if they were to go that route right well and and i think part of the the problem is going to be again the the whole reason we started this this podcast about being able to have conversations and you know being in the middle doesn't mean that every single one of your beliefs is dead down the middle it, it being in the middle means I believe in things that are on both sides, but I think a lot of what's going on right now is, especially in these, these last couple of weeks is you're really having to decide. I can only believe in one of these two yep. parties. And, you know, the, the unfortunate side of it is, and, and I don't see this regardless of who wins, I don't see this changing. And, and that is, in social media, you post something about your beliefs or you repost something about your beliefs and people just rip you apart. And you have friends that have been high school friends or, or friends for 20, 30 years going, hey, I like you, but you're an idiot. I can't, I can't be friends with you anymore because of your radical beliefs and I'm blocking yeah. you. These, these are friends of lifetime friends that are are leaving friendships because of, of these politically driven thought processes. And, and I don't think that if Biden wins, I don't think he's going to do anything to change that. He can't, that, that has become a social norm. And 
you know, if again, if Trump Trump wins, and we'll talk about this in his, I think he he will just drive that further, like he has been. But I think that it, what from a social standpoint, what I'm looking for if Biden wins is how do how do the protests that have been taking place and the the unrest and the movements that have started how do those transition into action absolutely and it is interesting you know i think a lot of people have become um very militant in their beliefs specifically this year because of the social justice things taking place where you know you've seen the phrase posted all around the internet where agree to disagree is about things like whether you take milk with your coffee it's not about racism or human rights or civil justice and things like that and that's where i think a lot of the the intense rhetoric is coming into play now is we're starting to see just a a civil rights era birth like that was taking place in the 1960s and unfortunately you know these things are never quelled um easily and we're we've kind of hit another critical mass point where america has to reckon itself with its history and, um, yeah. you know, people are very passionate about that. But I think what would be really beneficial and that would turn down the protests. And this is kind of one of my biggest issues with Donald Trump as as the uh, as the president was he was not able to just call for unity. You know, he was not able to say, like, hey, listen, this is a problem. Let's bring it together. He clearly picked a side. And then he continues to kind of add fuel to the fire by creating legislation that um, favors specifically one side, which is, you know, reducing training um, for, you know, making sure that nobody's being discriminated against in the workplace due to their race or um, gender identity or sexual identity. And there's that sort of side of things. And then there's the flip coin where he's now trying to publish a, uh, public education history program that almost like erases slavery and the evils of slavery and it's all about you know just promoting american pride and you know i don't i don't believe in nationalism i don't think nationalism has ever ended in a in a beneficial result and i think you know the idea of nationalism which is our country is better than any other country is toxic because it says, oh, okay, we don't need to improve. We don't need to make things better. We're already the best. And, you know, just looking at the data, we're the best in some things. Definitely um, definitely have an amazing national park system, definitely have military superiority in every branch. But past that, we're really not doing great on the world stage. So it is, it's something that is, is hard where I think a a president who is able to call for unity, who is able to look realistically at our standing in the world, and then we'll be able to create a plan to address these things rather than just keep sprinting in one direction, regardless of what the evidence says. Um, I think that can do a lot in terms of de-escalating these kind of rhetorics. Because for right now, yeah. you know, if you you either support Trump or you support Biden and it is so, so intense, the hatred around Trump because he is such an outspoken individual is just having a president who's not saying inflammatory things will deescalate things significantly because there will be less on social media. There will be less bombshells. There'll be less reporting. There'll just be less talk about politics in general. 
especially if the uh, pandemic starts to kind of get under control and things do slowly start to return to normal, is I think subsiding some of these pressure points can do incredible things in terms of creating civility within, you know, the citizens of the country again. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, okay, we got to wrap it up, but real quick, two, two questions. What are you most looking forward to if Biden wins? And what are you most afraid of if Biden wins? I am 100% looking um, forward to kind of what we talked about the entire episode is being able to, you know, start my day and read the news and it not just be scandal, 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 or something appalling happening on the national scale or something said behind closed doors. I'm looking forward to politics being more about getting things done and no longer being about who's right and who's wrong. Um, personally, I'm most worried about if Biden wins is a, um, inability to govern, you know, is, is he ready to step up to the task of really healing the nation's wounds? And if he is not, then making sure that his cabinet is put into place with people with enough experience to give him the support that he needs You know, I always said that um, the president doesn't have to do that much work as long as he surrounds himself um, with capable people and people that don't have an agenda. Yeah. And it'll be, you know, it'll be curious to see if Biden's capable of doing that uh, more effectively than what Trump's done. Yeah, no, I, you know, for me. I, I agree with what you're saying, and, and it would probably make for a better podcast <laughs> if I disagreed. Um, but um, one of the, the things that I'm most looking forward to is exactly what you were saying. I'm looking forward to not feeling like I have to pick up my phone and check and see what's trending because I'm afraid of what our exactly. president just said. And, and I'm looking forward to having a president that knows what presidential mm-hmm. means and isn't saying things just to incite one side yeah. versus the other. Um, I'm looking forward to a president that's gonna gonna really kind of get in there and be presidential and be somebody that I can point to with my son and say, that's yep. how you're supposed to act. That's, that's what being a president, that's what being a, a leader is about. I hope that he can do that. Um, you know, I, I have a few hesitations in in there that that he will be able to actually do that but at the end of the day I really feel like that's what I'm most looking forward to is some type of normalcy back in our government what I'm most concerned about is I'm, I'm most concerned about how far left this administration could take the United States and and what that would mean on the backside of of that because you you our two sides, which the whole point is let's bring these sides back mm-hmm. together of our podcast, but our two sides are getting yeah. further and further apart. And at some point you can only stretch that so far yep. before it actually rips and, and it's unfixable. I'm most afraid that he won't be able to get people back into at least a semi manageable government. I mean, right now, you, you almost can't get anything done because the two sides are so far apart and they won't even talk to each other because they hate exactly, each other so Exactly. Much. We're starting to see such division that it's actually inhibiting legislation that could benefit the country. Yeah. And so my, my fear is that 
um, that he's going to take us too far to the left and it's going to actually fracture the, the, the government or, or not the government, but the views of, of everybody and that he won't be able to, to make those coalitions that he so proudly touts as, yes, as his agreed, uh, abilities. Agreed. It'll be very interesting to see how all so, this plays out. Cool. Well, we meant to get both of them in there, but I, I think um, it wouldn't have done justice to try to cram cram the uh, Trump win into this one. So stay tuned. Um, we will get that, that one out. We'll probably drop both of them at the same time. Um, but uh, for, for wrapping this up, uh, it's okay to be left or, or in the right. It's okay to have views on both sides, but we all got to start leaning into the middle. And if we, we want to get anything done. look forward to exploring that common ground next time with y'all. And don't forget to like us on however you are listening to your podcast and definitely share with your friends. Uh, if you want to get them leaning into the Perfect. middle with you. <laughs>